You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Good evening, Peter. Whoa! You have 576 possible web shooter combinations. That is awesome. I can keep that suit? Yeah, doesn't fit me. When's your next retreat? What, next mission? We'll call you. All right? It's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door for you. I'm not there yet. All right, good. Good luck out there. Hey, Peter. You coming tonight? I can't tonight. I got the Stark internship. What's up, guys? Mr. Stark, here's my report for tonight. I stopped the Grand Theft Bicycle. Hey, could you do me a favor? Hold on to that. Is this anybody's bike? Oh, I helped this old lady and she bought me a churro. So, that was nice. I just feel like I could be doing more. Wait a minute. You guys aren't the real Avengers. Hulk gives it away. New move I'm working on. Not bad. God, this feels so strange. These weapons are crazy dangerous. Listen, Peter, there are people who handle this sort of thing. Can't you just be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Let go of me! Let go of me! Activating parachute. The world's changing, boys. It's time we change, too. This is my chance to prove myself. We have a Spanish quiz. You gotta get better at this part of the job. I don't understand. I'm intimidated. Oh, hey, yes. My friends are there. Hey, where are you going? What are you hiding, Peter? I'm just kidding. I don't care. Bye. There's a ton of other subsystems in here, but they're all disabled by the training wheels protocol. I'm sick of Mr. Stark treating me like a kid. But you are a kid. Yeah, a kid who can stop a bus with his bare hands. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to GeekFest Rant. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are going to be hitting brand new movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. Very anxiously expected new Marvel film. This is Sony Marvel, the collaboration that started a little bit while back with Civil War. This is uh, Spider-Man getting his own new reboot film. We've recently watched it. I have Kyle joining me today, and we are going to both talk about it, and I'm going to, uh, as usual, go over the Star Wars connections. There's a, a lot of little Star Wars toy cameos in this particular film. Is it a hit? Is it another feather in Marble's cap? You know, is this a hit for Sony too? You'll find out. 
I'm also going to be talking about poster collecting, especially the posters that I own. Recently, I started to uh, unearth my old posters and displaying them. And the first one we're going to hit today is going to be the re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're going to talk about that poster and its history. And speaking of collecting, we are also going to revisit or more like continue uh, with our Kenner Star Wars, specifically Return of the Jedi action figure collection. This time we're going to go over the 65 card backs all the way to the Jedi line we finally reached, Return of the Jedi. And we'll go over some of those figures that came in that groundbreaking wave of action figures and how much we love them. So let's start with Spider-Man Homecoming and as usual, spoilers aplenty. Here we go. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. On today's movie, we are joined by Kyle, who happened to have seen Spider-Man Homecoming with us last week. We all went, even my wife and my daughter, we all gave it a shot because, you know, this type of movie is not as dark as some of the other more recent Marvel films. And I would even kind of place it kind of, I would say, you know, above the Guardians slash Ant-Man type of Marvel film and below, obviously, the Avengers and, you know, the more serious Marvel films. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. And one of the things about this film that, you know, we kind of knew it was coming for a long time was that this whole thing started when Marvel and Sony decided to share, I guess, the profits and the rights and kind of start blending some of their characters because Sony has the, the rights yeah. to, to Spider-Man. The, uh, the deal that we know so far based on the movies that have come out was like Sony got, I believe, a little bit of profits from Civil War for including Spider-Man. But in this case, Marvel funded and shot the movie for Homecoming and then Sony's getting all the money from the movie, but Marvel's getting all the money from all the uh, like the toys and shirts and stuff. Right. The bottom line is that not only are they going to continue with Spider-Man films, because this is so far very successful, but they're also going to be able to keep him, you know, as a contributing character in some of these other Marvel films. Yeah, so supposedly right now the deal that they have with specifically Tom Holland's Spider-Man, they have, I believe... After this movie, they have five more left. They Well, they have Avengers 3 and Avengers 4, and then they have, I believe, two or three more Spider-Man movies after that. Jeez. Well, let's talk a little bit about this particular movie. Now, Kyle mentioned, I believe, that we did get a preview, in a way, of Spider-Man when we saw Civil War. So we got to watch a little bit of the beginning of how they introduce him you know, yeah. in the mix. This is his standalone film, and they chose a different route this time as opposed to the previous two Spider-Man films. We are not longer dealing with an origin story from the very, very, very beginning. In other words, we are getting to see him kind of in the beginning of his stages of figuring out how things work and stuff, especially since he is 
align with Tony Stark. He's kind of mentoring him in a way. Mm-hmm. He kind of started it doing, I guess, during the Civil War time. And now he's more involved with him. He gives him a different suit that has extra abilities that, as far as the films go, we've never seen before. Yeah, in the in the comics, a lot of those are there. Like in the comics, he has like, like he can have these like web boats, web like everything. I mean, those are a little over the top, but they they kind of dip into that in the movie with like the electric webs and the stuff like that. Well, Spider Man's been around for such a long time that they have got you know they've invented just about every conceivable thing to make him different you know years after years after years uh but for with film no with film we've never gone that far with him so even though you don't see the fact that he was bitten by a spider and then you know his his powers start coming through and you know the tragedy with uncle ben and all that stuff, we are not seeing any of that. That's already happened. Yeah. Maybe they'll do they, a flashback bar- at some point. They barely acknowledge it. The only thing they really say is like, oh, I don't want to make Aunt May upset. She's already had so much to deal with. Right. Yeah. And here we're dealing, this movie is super, super tied into the Avengers. I mean, yeah, if you like think the, about the it, opening the entire se- film is, is yeah. about the aftermath of Avenger-related events. Yeah, the beginning, they open up with, like, they're rebuilding Stark Tower after the Battle of New York, and you see all the, like, they're digging up all the alien tech and stuff. Yeah. The lead bad guy in this one is the Vulture, which, again, we've never seen him before yeah. in film form. This character is played by Michael Keaton, who has been having somewhat of a resurgence over the last couple of years. Everything, I think, once he did Birdman, which very ironically, he's kind of playing something, I don't want to say similar, but it's in the vein of a gigantic flying bird type of thing. Um, and it's funny because when when he did Birdman, the rumor started circulating that, hey, wouldn't he be a good bad guy for... I think it might have been Spider-Man because the deal was kind of in the works around that time. Yeah, they were talking about him being in Spider-Man. Originally, people were saying, oh, maybe he's going to play the Green Goblin. But then everyone's like, wait, because of Birdman, he'll be Vulture. And I guess that's... And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened, yeah. But Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about the other bad... Let's start with the other bad guys because they sprinkled a couple of other bad guys and even tease some other bad guys. There's like, based on what I... My notes here, there's, there's four total bad guys... That we, well, five technically. But they're more minor. They're not yeah. like in the past where you had two equally well, yes. important bad yeah, guys. And I, I actually, I kind of like this because these villains are more like street villains, really. Like, and Spider-Man is friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know? It's street, he's a street hero. He's like Daredevil, basically, only more popular. That's the thing. So the other villains, we have Vulture. Right. But we also have the Shocker, which we get two different actors and t- playing two different characters that take up the mantle. I forget what one of them. The first one, I forget who that one was. But the second one is Herman Schultz, which is the like the original Shocker from the comics. His costume, he has the brown and yellow. He doesn't have a mask, unfortunately. Some of the toys, actually, they show him having a mask. But in the movie, he doesn't have a mask. And there was like some promo art where they show him having a mask. But they never did. Maybe it was like 
I remember with Avengers, they were originally had Hawkeye with glasses, with like I mean sunglasses in the uh, the promotional art for everything, but they never had that in the movie. But he also has like the shock glove that he has. It's actually a modified version of Crossbones' like punching glove, like power fist from Civil War that you see he has. Right, but like I said before, these are not lead lead characters. They're kind of no. the the thugs yeah. of the bad guy. And then also another one of the thugs of the bad guy is the Tinkerer who he was in, he's been in like the really, really original comics and he's like a big guy for um, like a lot of the smaller villains. They all try to buy tech from him because he makes all these things. But they don't kind of like really dress up these bad yeah. guys. Like they don't, they don't give them costumes or yeah. anything. They're just bad like guys they, who, who yeah. either have a special uh, weapon yeah. that they use or like the Tinker. He just yeah. likes to Yeah, the Tinker, they don't even call him the Tinker, but they, I forget what his actual name was, but they refer to him by his actual comic book name. And then also we have briefly is uh, Prowler played by Donald Glover who his real name is Aaron Davis and like the Prowler is he's kind of an anti-hero in the way because like he's he starts out as a like a like a cat burglar but then he kind of becomes a hero in certain ways and then in the ultimate universe he's just a straight up cat burglar but he's not a total jerk like he's he's kind of he's a little compl- he's a complicated bad guy and half the time he's not even a bad guy. Now, um, let's just talk a little bit about Donald Glover because yeah. the reason, I imagine, the only reason that he's in this film is because for a long time, through like back channels, when they rebooted Spider-Man so many times, he, I think, through back channels, was campaigning to be able to be the next Spider-Man. Yeah. So things have gone as far as, you know, certain comic books were created that were kind of like, well, maybe he can play this type of spider-man or that type of spider-man and i've known people just like there are people that you know when you hear about doctor who possibly having a female lead they will like i'm never watching the show again or if james bond all of a sudden they have a non-english you know white guy they're like i'm never watching the show again but i've known people that are the same way about spider-man if you don't have a peter parker looking kid they're like i am done with spider-man well the thing that kind of connects to this is that his aaron davis's nephew is Miles Morales. Which brings and us back to the comic He's now. the Spider-Man that, when in the Ultimate Universe, Spider-Man dies and he takes over the mantle. And he's an African-American slash Hispanic kid who's just growing up and he, he gets bit by a, a radioactive spider too and he becomes Spider-Man. And it looks like they're setting that up. They're giving yeah. you more than enough hints that something's going to happen in the future. And again, you don't use this yeah, actor I would, randomly. Yeah, I would definitely be willing to see like uh, miles morales he's a cool character from the comics and and here he's not a you know like we said earlier you know we have lots of spoilers here he is not a direct bad guy in this film he's kind of like somebody who is trying to buy tech from one of the bad guys but we don't know exactly why he says he's like i don't want any trouble in my neighborhood though from these guys they're getting too rowdy so you know so like that's he's, why he he's trying him. to do it to save or to protect his nephew or something like well, that. Well, yeah, well, he's trying to make money. He's trying to, he's buying it. So I guess either to resell it or just to have it as protection. Get it off the streets maybe or who, something like that. Well, that, that's what he told Spider-Man afterward. Cause he's like, he realized that these people are really getting too big and that they could be like walking into his neighborhood. So we have another bad guy that appears on the boat scene and then later at the end, and it gives us a better idea of who he's, of who he's probably going to be. Well, who he is, it's uh, Scorpion, Mac Gargan. He's another Spider-Man villain that we've seen a lot. In the comics, he has a mechanical tail that like acts as a scorpion tail. 
Um, in the comics, he was actually hired by J. Jonah Jameson to kill Spider-Man because J. Jonah Jameson hated Spider-Man. But we, we don't actually see him in this uh, in this movie. Oh, that's right, because he's he's still yeah. in high school. Yeah, so... He hasn't gotten to that point yet. Yeah. And I imagine that, again, depending on how they go with the film, if it is the Scorpion that's coming up in the future, will it most likely be some kind of mechanical device? Will it be kind of like a Doc Ock type of thing that comes from yeah. the bot? Who knows? I don't know which way they're going to go because... Obviously, the vulture is not exactly, from what we've seen, the comic vulture is not exactly the mechanical monster that this guy can No, the attach comic vulture to. is just a guy in a green feather suit. <laughs> it's like Big Bird, except yeah. he's green. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and the scene at the end that we see, the end tag scene with him meeting with the vulture, it kind of sets up possibly Sinister Six because he mentions that he has a bunch of friends and they'd like to stick it to Spider-Man. So that's kind of interesting because there's still rumors that Sony's developing their own Sinister Six movie and if they are doing that, then what are they doing with this? Because either they're going to have two Sinister Six movies with different members or... Well, again, I, I cause, to, to bring back the, the same person I remember yeah. that told me about that, you know, that we, he, he would never accept another Spider-Man. He also told me there is never going to be a Sinister they, Six movie. And I don't know. I'm, things are... <laughs> like I, Things are changing. The thing is, is Sony is... Literally, they had something so good with this. And I hope that they realize from Spider-Man Homecoming that they really can't afford to not be connected to the MCU because they were talking about Venom being its own thing without the MCU, without Spider-Man. And that's ridiculous. I mean... Hold on a second. Let's go back a little bit. Yeah. Sinister Six was announced back when Andrew Garfield had first joined Spider-Man. Yeah, they announced that. There were rumors of a Aunt May secret spy spinoff movie. There was the Black Cat movie with uh, Silver Sable. And then the second Spider-Man film came out with Electro. I forget the name yeah, of that and one. That and that just destroyed that entire franchise. Because they literally just used that movie to build other movies with. They, like There was no plot other than to set up other plots. That was all right. it was. And that killed it. But now with this, uh, not even this, with Civil War bringing Spider-Man and kind of testing the waters and it very, you know, worked very well. This one now as a solo project, even though it is completely attached to the Marvel universe in terms of the story. Okay, continues that way. But here we also get a lot of school characters that we might have seen in other movies, but but not on yeah. some. He has a whole bunch of other friends and team members from the, uh, the science, math, whatever team he belongs yeah. to. Like his main friend is Ned Leeds in this. They kind of really took a lot of different characters to make he's this. He's the like, guy that keeps saying, I want to be like the voice in your head, the computer guy. In the yeah. way. And it's funny because yeah, at the end he gets to do well, that. Well, because his name is Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds is actually a reporter that worked for the Daily Bugle with Parker. Oh, and Actually, Ned Leeds becomes the Hobgoblin, who's oh, basically the fourth incarnation of the Green Goblin, which is, it's ridiculous. It, I don't... It doesn't matter because, obviously, yeah. they don't follow everything don't to think, the letter. I don't think so they're going to do that Who with knows him, which though. way they're going to go. But then they also kind of took, because Harry Osborn was Spider-Man's best friend, and they kind of took that. He takes that position, but... But we didn't um, see him in this one. Harry no, Ob- we didn't see Harry Osborn. But we, we see, saw Flash. What's his nose? Yeah, Flash. But Flash is... Instead, they just made him some... Just like a, nerd, like, like a, a rich, jerky nerd. Like a jerky, rich, rich guy jerky who's nerd. always picking on Peter. Yeah, and it's like they made him more of like a real down-to-earth person instead of some like jock. Right, you know? the typical uh, bully, yeah. you know, type of guy. Yeah, and also the, like with 
back to Oscorp, there was zero mention of Oscorp. No, no, yeah, that's Norman right. Norman Osborn, nothing. Which no. I thought was a little bit odd. I mean, I know they're trying to keep away from them because they used them so much in the they other movies. But they, movie. they could at least acknowledge that they exist. Well, this know? is the first film. They can sprinkle like, I remember, it out. I remember back when they were doing like the Amazing Spider-Man and stuff, they actually did screen tests and stuff. They were going to add the Oscorp building in the New York skyline during Avengers. They actually did like <laughs> digital renderings for it. But Sony was like, you know what? Never mind. This is a bad idea. Don't do it. And then they ended well, up making more bad ideas. Again, this is the beginning. <laughs> when the new Batman films started coming out in terms of Batman versus Superman and some of that stuff, you know... We knew that sooner or later they were going to bring the Joker. They weren't just going to bring him up first. Yeah. Here, same thing. Eventually, you are going to have the Green Goblin in some shape or form yeah. meet up with, with Spider-Man and Peter Parker and all that thing. But they don't want to do it on the first run. You know, that's kind of like you don't want to just blow off your first major character and then just have him disappear for the next three or four films. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about the many, many Marvel connections in this film. Off the bat, one of the things that we... We saw the film in 3D, which was pretty cool. You know, no big deal. The Marvel opening, the Marvel logo is different because it's Spider-Man related because it's it's also a Sony picture. Yeah. And the they, music... They were slapping Sony all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the music is the old animated theme. Yeah. Spider-Man I really, theme song. I didn't, re- I didn't think of that. Played in a classical like, wow. score type of thing. And I was, I'm like giggling through it because I'm like, wow, they actually worked it into the film. Yeah, in a, that's in a, nice. In a really, really cool that way. That was a really nice touch. So let's talk a, about the Marvel connections. The fact that the Vulture is basically a guy who's like cleaning up the mess yeah, of, of the attack. Yeah, he was part of damage control. Right. Damage. He's there cleaning up, picking up the yeah, garbage damage. and the tech and everything. Well, and well, no, he wasn't part of damage control. He was just a regular... A, a city con- guy. Yeah, but damage control took over for the project. Right, so he gets angry at them and he starts collecting his own stuff. And years yeah. later, he's now like an arms dealer of tech. Yeah. And he's got his crew of guys that used to, I guess, work for him as part of the city. Yeah. And it's funny, one of the guys you mentioned... <laughs> The second I saw him, uh, I don't know if it was the Tinkerer or the it's other just, guy. It was um, uh, a shocker, yeah. It's a fake Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they say that in the video. In the, yeah, and I remember because I'm watching it, I'm like, that guy looks like the guy from Prometheus who looks like the guy from, <laughs> yeah, from Tom he, Hardy. He's just like a slightly tanner And they, they, they shaved his head. I think they shaved his head and they yeah. gave him a full huge beard. Yeah, I'm like, no, that's like that. Yeah, that now he, now he looks like Tom Hardy at the, the Golden Globe premiere. He's yeah, it's like, I, I love beard. it. It's, it's almost Tom yeah. Hardy. I love him. He's great. Uh, I hope that we see him again at some point. Yeah, so we have that connection. Obviously, the Tony Stark connection, it's huge. To the point where even before this movie came out, they've been kind of retconning a scene from, what was it, Avengers? Or, yeah, well, from, or from Iron Man 2. Iron Man, was that Iron Man yeah, 2? Yeah, Iron Man 2. Where the little kid is watching Iron Man, and he's wearing the mask, and he's kind of making, you know, waving at him or whatever. And they're saying now that that was Peter Parker. Yeah, because there was the, the battle at the end with the, the drones, and all the people are running, but... But the kid is staying there, and he's like, "I can beat him up with my uh, my toy arc reactor." Like, and then, okay. And Iron Man flips behind him. He's like, and he shoots the uh, the drone. He's like, "Oh, nice shot, kid!" And he flies away. Yeah, obviously so, that. You and know you, what? It's cute. I, I, there's he, no way in hell he they actually, did that on purpose. And you actually see in the first. I think it's actually one of the first shots of the movie when you well when you see Peter with uh, his camera. Is when he's driving on along the highway. They pass by the World's Fair where they fill where that that scene took place well that's the other thing they do this thing in the beginning where 
Peter is shooting like a video yeah. of a mission he's about to go into. Which is the one from Civil War. Right. And they kind of cut almost back and forth a little bit between the the video he's shooting that he's going to then upload into YouTube, which we do see him doing that later. You know, and they kind of intercut it with scenes of that airport fight, which was really cool how they, they worked that out. Yeah. And then he kind of, when he's talking to uh, Ned, like uh, Ned's like f- like freaking out. He's like, oh, you're Spider-Man. And then, so like once in a while he'll drop like, oh, like you see Captain America on the screen for the... Oh, the, he's uh, doing those, the, those PSAs. Yeah, the PSAs. And then he's like, I stole his shield. And he's like, oh. Yeah, he, it's, I like the relationship with his friend and how they, you know, yeah. he's all, all gushing over everything that's anything having to do with the Avengers. The other thing is that this movie does not let you forget not only that Sony is the parent company here, but that... Disney is also involved because it's Star Wars connection. You do see them build, and you saw this in the trailer, they're building a Death Star Lego. And and he drops it and smashes it to bits. Yeah, and it's funny that Peter Parker likes Star Wars in this movie because in the comics, he actually, like, it's kind of been, like, hinted at and kind of said that he doesn't actually like Star Wars. Like, he thinks it's ridiculous. Well, it's probably... Yeah. I, I have a feeling it's because of the parent studio. They wanted to make... Not only do you see that, but I I was... Wa- the only thing I was watching during those scenes are the toys on his shelf. And I saw yeah. a hanging X-Wing fighter, yeah. or a vintage. Yeah, there's the ad there's, there's an ad at that seems to be missing some pieces. Yeah, and then there's some of the six-inch and figures. Yeah. Well, not, not so much the six-inch. I saw yeah. original Kenner. We actually Kenner. have the... The the six inch uh, this the, this figure it was on the corner of the but shelf. But I yeah. saw Kenner original figures back 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 on the shelf. Yeah, I saw them as clear as day. I'm trying to find them on the internet. If somebody did a screen grab yet, <laughs> or or if there's or if somebody interviewed somebody about yeah, well, what props are the, out there. Well, when the Blu-ray comes out, we can pause. Yeah, it. and sooner yeah. or later somebody's gonna do an article or somebody's gonna ask an interview and figure that yeah. out. Let's talk a little more about that suit because. Part of the story involves him using the suit and then using it without permission and doing certain things without permission. And Tony gets pissed and takes it away from him. But that suit can do so many things to the point where you even have a voice of the computer, I guess, that's running the suit talking to him almost like Jarvis would yeah, talk to Tony. Yeah, the the actress is Jennifer Connelly and she's actually married to Paul Bettany who plays the Vision. Yeah, and she was also in the first Hulk film. Yeah, I actually never watched that movie. Uh, I got, saw I saw the end I think and I was like what the this isn't Hulk. It's it's uh, it's a little rough to watch but you should watch it just to get it over with. <laughs> All I saw was like sand, like this guy turning into sand. And I'm like, that's that's all I remember. Well, I, was like, I, I was like six or something. I don't remember. I saw the end of it. Like you were watching it. I think you were sitting down watching it. And I was just walked in there. I'm like, he's sand. Yeah, I don't remember that part. <laughs> and it's like his Bruce and his father or something. I don't know. Oh, because he's this creature. Yeah, he's another one of these crazy so weird. monster villains. Now, let's talk a little bit about the hook, the twist that I wasn't expecting because, again, because I don't read the comics, I have no idea if this is part of the comics this or not. Is, I don't think this was in the comics. It, his love interest in this film is not Mary Jane. It's another girl that it's, apparently well, is yeah. a, a natural is that, yeah, character. She's in the comic. She's actually Peter Parker's first crush, and she appears, I think, in issue four, I think, of the original run of Spider-Man, like the first run. I think it was issue four, yeah. But in this movie, it turns out, like, the twist is that Adrian Toomes, who's the vulture, is actually her father. Right. Obviously, it's it's, it's her uh, stepfather or adoptive father because she's black and he's 
Michael Keaton. <laughs> Michael <not> Keaton. <laughs> Michael Keaton's not black. <laughs> but they never really explained that, and that's yeah. kind of good in a way because yeah. you know what? You don't always have to explain. Well, you see, I fell in love with this girl that wasn't exactly like me. It's like no, you don't have to explain it. Yeah. Just keep going. But yeah, yeah, that wasn't that was definitely not in the comics at all. <laughs> right. But later. We find out that one of the girls of Peter's group, especially of that debate team or whatever yeah, team they're doing, yeah, Michelle, she has a different name, but well, then yeah, she gives is, her initials. Yeah, her full name is Michelle Jones, and it's her initials are MJ. So it's like, oh, okay. So we're kind of like, oh, I guess that's so, where we're going with so that. So here's the thing. We don't know if maybe they're going to have Mary Jane down the line or if this is going to be the... MCU version of Mary Jane and they're just completely they're going to change the character because we've seen Mary Jane so many times before so now let me kind of throw a little bit of a political thing here because I haven't seen this happen yet and I'll be curious if it happens because it happened with Star Wars with Star Wars The Force Awakens and Rogue One there were a lot of grumblings from certain political leaning people that why do they have to have so many women why does there have to be a black guy as the lead? Why, you know, why, why, why? All this stuff. Here, this movie is very diverse. Yes. You have characters that you like, I've never seen. They're all over the place. Like the, Peter, even the, Peter's even, the only white guy in his friend group. Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> again, now keep in mind, you're not in Kentucky. You're in New York City. Yeah. Okay. You want to see yeah. a 100% white cast? You make the film take place in Kentucky. This is New York City. And every other character is a different ethnicity here, which is kind of like, not only that, but they don't have to, like I mentioned earlier, they don't have to explain it. They don't yeah, have they to don't give have you a to. reason it's, for it. It's just, it's a natural. Uh, even his principal is another weird Easter egg in the film because his principal is the descendant, I guess, of the guy from Captain America. Yeah, the, well, the, he was one of the Highland Commandos. He was the Asian guy in that group. Yeah. And he has a picture of his, I guess, his grandfather yeah, on the wall. The and, and I'm everything. looking at that picture and I'm looking at the actor because the same actor. Yes, yeah, the same actor. And I'm like, yeah. that guy looks like the guy from the, the, the thing on the. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. They yeah. even tied that oh, in. Oh, yeah. They, one thing I want to mention about that is that in the comics, they kind of bring the Helen Commandos into the modern day in like kind of a similar Captain America style. I kind of, in the back of my head, I kind of want that to happen just because I, I miss seeing like those those characters because those are cool characters, you know? Well, the other thing is that near the end of the movie, we also get to see Pepper Pot come back into these films because yeah. she's been out for a while now of, of the films. Yeah, they'd like I think there was like a contract issue she had with, uh, like I think it was Civil War and for yeah, Avengers something like 2. That. And in theory, but, they, uh, they and get engaged she, and may possibly she, she get married. She just shot some scenes for uh, Infinity, Infinity War. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, so she's just, she's I think I just back. saw that this morning. So yeah, as a result of what happens at the end, I think they might be even getting married, you know, her and Tony, because, you know, Tony offers Peter yeah. to come, okay, you're. I think you're ready yeah, for the he, team, come to the team, yeah. and uh, and Peter's like, no, nah, I think I'm going to stay and take care of my, you know, my town type of thing. Yeah. So he said, be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then Tony's, and he was like, that's a test, right? He's like, yeah, of course it was a test. And then he's like, he, I don't think he was. Crap, crap. Like, we gotta, yeah, give me the ring. Give me something. I got to tell the news something because it's a whole press conference ready to. Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of cute too. And you also have Happy Hogan, Tony's driver in a lot of this film also because he's kind of like the in-between. You know, he's kind of supposed to be keeping an he's eye like, on Peter. Uh, Peter's babysitter. <laughs> right. But he's not watching him. 
he's too busy doing other stuff yeah, anyway. Yeah, he's just like, I don't have time for this, you know. Now, we also see one of the things that Happy was doing, he's part of the organizing and overseeing the moving, you know, from the dismantling of the Avenger, the Stark Tower, into wherever the hell they're yeah, shipping they're them back, off upstate going, or something. Yeah, it looks like they were going to the Avengers, like the complex that they have in And, and part War. of the climax of the film and the fight with Vulture has to do with the crashing of the plane that has all this tech that's being relocated and we get to see a lot of all these weird things that are i guess maybe we'll see them in the future having to do with other you know marvel avenger related films so we do get to see a lot of that too and then yes at the end we also get a peek at a sp- another spider-man suit that we haven't even seen what it does yet yeah it's i i don't know if we're ever gonna see it again because spider-man basically turned it down maybe we'll see it in infinity war or something but it looks like it's kind of a a spin on the Iron Spider outfit, which we see in like in the actual Civil War comics that oh. they did, where it's Iron Man designs a does like specifically designs a suit for Spider Man. It's all gold and red. It has like a spider legs too that come out of the back, like Doc Ock kind of. But in this version, it's just like a armor plated red and blue suit with like a huge spider on the front, which it still looks cool. But I, it's a, you could tell they were kind of taking on the. Uh, the Iron Spider suit. Yeah. Now, the final stinger that we get in the movie is basically a comedy thing in terms of it's another PSA from Captain America, but it's kind of towards the audience, you know, saying, you know, why are you guys sitting through all this and, you know, watching all the way to the end? I appreciate it, you know. Kind of, it, it was it was really yeah, silly. A lot of people on the internet were pissed off at that, which I I was like, oh, come on, it's a joke. You, they gave you one scene, right? You don't have to. So everything doesn't have to lead into the next thing yeah. with a huge surprise. No, you, you got enough. It's fine. No, it's yeah. no big deal. Well, next is Thor Ragnarok, and that is supposedly, from what we're hearing, it's supposed to really like like Infinity War is like really really close to Ragnarok. Like they're, they're getting closer. They're, and closer. they're literally going to overlap or something. That's what I heard. The only other theory that I've heard that we talked a little bit about it before and this one comes from out of all people kevin smith he recently went on the internet just theorizing about what could they do in the future well we all know that a lot of these actors' contracts are about to expire you know thor and iron man and captain all these actors you know they're going to expire so yeah thor's there is a possibility you know it is conceivable that because peter parker is kind of being mentored by tony stark maybe peter parker eventually can take over for tony and that opens the door for the morales situation to then him become the official spider-man at some point yeah that's a nice little yeah right now what from what we know about the contracts is that thor's ends i think after avengers 3 i don't think he's going to be back for the fourth one and then chris evans said that he extended his thing for one more movie so that he could do avengers 4 and then robert downey jr says like he said something to the lines of like i'll keep doing it until like before i make a fool out of myself so he doesn't see an end in sight i guess at the moment and then tom holland he just started so he still has I told you like four or five more yeah, movies yeah, left. Yeah, yeah. And then there's still uh, like the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's uh, they have one more Guardians movie and then they're both going to do, I think, Avengers Infinity War. And then they're going to do the the other Avengers movie. And then Doctor Strange just started, but I think they have like a five picture yeah, deal now. Black for Panther is about to start. Yeah. Falcon, I think they still have a couple movies with him and Winter Soldier. They have a couple movies with him too. And Black Widow, I think she's still signed on. And Captain Marvel and hasn't even started yet. No, but Nick Fury is going to be in Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel, yeah, they were saying. So that's good. So there's plenty to go around, you know, 
This is definitely a, a good addition to the Marvel Universe. Let's see what they do next. It's still making money, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, hopefully what this will show Sony is that if they're going to do the Venom movie, if they're going to do their own movies without Marvel, technically, they shouldn't do it unless they're going to link it with the MCU because otherwise either they're going to... Either it's not going to be a good movie... Or if it is, even if it is a good movie, it's not going to make a lot of money for them, and there would be a waste of it would be a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't like Venom. You can't have Venom without Spider Man. That is ridiculous. If they don't at least reference that he exists, and they don't reference that the MCU exists, I'm okay if they don't really throw it in your face that much. I'm okay if it's like the the amount that they put in Daredevil, honestly, where yeah. they don't they just reference oh the Battle of New York. And then the rest of the time, they don't even bother with anything. That's fine. I just, they have to acknowledge that there is a Spider-Man, you know? Yeah, we'll see. Because they, you know, they can always... And there has to be some sort of plan down the line to eventually have them cross over at some point. It's such a wide array of mediums, you know, between your television properties that they could easily jump to film. They're so good. Some of them are so good. You know, I'm talking Daredevil. I'm talking Luke Cage. Heck, yeah. even Punisher. I, yeah, I'm I'm dying to see because I have a bunch of comics where it's Spider-Man teams up with Daredevil or Spider-Man teams up with or fights Punisher. And I really want to see something like that. Like, I hope with the, what they do is with these other Spider-Man movies is that they make it like each movie they have a different team up. Like, cause like this one would be like with Iron Man. Yeah, why not? And then maybe they could do the next one. Maybe they have Daredevil. Like, that'd be cool. Who knows? It'd Who be knows? a big stretch, but you know. Well, this is definitely one we recommend. And like I said, if you're worried about the tone, this is a lighter tone than your darker, you know, Marvel. I would yeah. kind of throw it into the Ant Man and Guardians camp of your slightly lighter. You can bring the younger kids, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I would say. All right, so. Go see it. You can collect them all. You are a toy! Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the $6 million man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky. And I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. On today's collectible segment, I'm going to begin with a new subject that I've never really had a chance to talk about in the past exclusively. And that is poster collecting. During my... Orlando Celebration 2017, I attended many panels having to do with collecting, and one of the things, one particular portion of the panel dealt with was poster collecting, but not so much the collecting aspects, but the forgeries, to be careful, you know, with certain forgeries that are out there of very classic Star Wars-related material to be careful with. And that kind of brought me back to not so much the forgery <laughs> portion of the event, but the fact that I do own some pretty cool looking posters. I would probably say, you know, as a kid, I probably purchased 
posters, all types of different type of posters, you know, before I got a little more serious about it. And by that, I mean with movies or even rock groups and stuff like that, you know, they put out promotional posters you could buy at the store. You can go to your local Walmart or your local whatever store and you usually have a poster rack. You know, it's like a giant book uh, with uh, plastic covers and you can kind of go through that giant book full of posters and select which number you want and you buy them. And these are usually... I don't want to say small, but they're kind of medium-sized posters. They're not exactly the ones you see at the movie theater. But then around, I think, let's say for the sake of argument, somewhere around 1982, 1981, especially 1982, I really started to kind of fall in love with the art of the posters, the actual movie one-sheet posters. And back then, I don't want to say a majority of them, but a lot of them, many, many of these poster art were usually derived from art they were actually hand-drawn posters there weren't too many as they later started showing up at least in my view of the photographic posters and keep in mind this is before photoshop and all that kind of stuff when they could take photos and rearrange them in any shape or form that they wanted i guess it's much easier you know for an artist to just draw exactly what he wants and shift it around as need be but granted, whether it's photographs or art, they would still most likely have to end up in a process where if changes needed to be made, they would have to cut out certain things and reposition them and rephotograph them and that sort of thing. As opposed to now where it's all done inside a computer, no matter what images you have, you can do whatever the heck you want. Nowadays, I don't even think many artists even draw with paper and pencil or inks or paints. They just use the paint programs in their software. I'm sure some of them still do. But anyway, back to 1982, I was living in New York, and one of the best things about living in a city like New York is having access to subways. You know, the subway would take you, whether it's an underground subway or an elevated train, it would take you into Manhattan, out of Manhattan, into the other boroughs. And in all of the subway stations, specifically the indoor ones, the underground ones, they were plastered, completely plastered with ads on on the walls giant ads for whether it's merchandise material or movie and i used to love seeing these movie posters you know the size they were actually even bigger i believe than your traditional one sheet because the space that they were occupying in a subway station sometimes was much bigger than your typical you know one sheet size and Whatever movie happened to be, you know, playing at the time, it was being promoted, you know, all over New York. And you could see them in all these train stations and, and all these subway stations. And sometimes you would even see like five of them in a row all lined up. You know, I guess it's the it's their version of, you know, when you watch a commercial on TV and then the same commercial plays again. And you're like, wait, is this a mistake? No, it's not a mistake. They do it on purpose because they try to hit you twice. And that becomes a little more memorable. Obviously, you can't do that all the time with commercials or else you would just lose your mind every commercial being repeated twice. But... With print ads, you know, they would do that. They would put five or six in a row. And, you know, I was already in the beginning stages of my fandom, if you will. I was already, you know, Star Wars came out in 77. That's what basically made my head explode and progressed, especially after 1979, I think, when I first got here and I was completely bombarded by merchandising and all the different available things that a film would carry that you might be interested in. And in my case, I was definitely interested in. So at this time, the way that I would decorate my bedroom, obviously, is with traditional posters. But then when I started to catch 
on that they were actual movie posters out there, you know, that people actually were able to get. And I remember my first try <laughs> and trying to get a movie poster was that around the time where these movies would come out and the posters would be advertised, you know, put on the walls of these subway stations, you know, after a few weeks, as the movie is kind of leaving the movie theater, these posters get ripped down. They would get ripped down. And a lot of times they would already be kind of ungluing themselves or falling off. And I remember I, I, I was by some station and I noticed that the Raiders poster, this was 82, so this was the re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I noticed the poster was starting to peel away and I knew it was coming to the end of the run of this re-release. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to try to peel the rest of it off and take it with me. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, thank God the cops didn't see me or anybody, <laughs> nobody cared at the time, but unfortunately, because these ads are usually mounted so much in terms of there's probably 10 or 15 other ads underneath, and I'm sure every now and then they have to scrape off all these different posters they put up so they can start fresh and put new posters again. This is back then when they used to do that. Well, anyway, I tried peeling off the poster and I basically destroyed it in the, in the process and I was very disappointed and I'm like, you know, what kind of cruel world do we live in with these posters are just plastered all over the subway station. Nobody appreciates them except for me. How, you know, how do I get my hands on these? And then I started finding out, now remember, no internet, 1982. Internet doesn't exist. My only source of information is either Starlog Magazine or conventions. If by then I was already going to them, I honestly do not remember exactly if I was. So I would probably imagine Starlog Magazine was my, my source of information at the time. In the back of the magazine, I believe, if I remember right, there were classifieds. And the classifieds were all over the place. And it was basically, it was one page of classifieds. Half of them were probably Starlog-related properties. The other ones were types of different toy collectible shops all over the country that would advertise on Starlog. And some of them were dinky little mom and pop shops and some of them were a little more, you know, explicitly large. Well, I believe I must have gotten the address for a poster place in Manhattan. So my dad, I think, took me. We took the train to Manhattan. It was somewhere downtown. It was a weird area because it was kind of like, um, it looked like a residential kind of area. But the poster store that sold posters was like a couple of steps down into almost like, like a basement type of store. It was a dinky little place. I guess, you know, your typical Manhattan rents were outrageous even back then. But it was a dinky little place. Not a lot of room to walk in. Not a lot of room to really look. They didn't have too much of the display area. Because posters take up so much damn room. It is ridiculous. And, you know, at the time I was thinking, well, you know, I want to get a couple of posters for my room. And no idea how much these things would cost. I remember originally... I was thinking, well, maybe I can get the original Raiders poster, which is my all-time favorite, the one with Indy. He's kind of has the whip over his shoulder. It's a medium shot of him and very minimal additional art. And it says Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, from the makers of Jaws and uh, Close Encounters and Star Wars or something like that. But I believe at the time when I asked about that poster, it was just way too expensive for me at that point. However, the re-release poster, the one that was in a lot of the subway stops that I was watching, that was because it was newer, it was cheaper, and it wasn't the original. And even back then, obviously, you know, the collector market determines the price. That's the one I got. Therefore, that is the one that I'm starting this particular piece with, is my 
June poster. I know I'm putting it out a little later than expected, but what I've been doing lately is I've been unfurling, unrolling <laughs> all of my old 80s posters and every month I'm going to display one in my office here for one of the posters. I have a couple of posters here in my office. Some of them kind of stay where they are, but I designated one of them that's going to be the interchangeable one every month. So for June, I picked Raiders of the Lost Ark. Again, this is the re-release poster by Richard Amsell. And you can see his name is usually on the lower hand, uh, right hand side. The man is no longer with us. He passed away years ago. But if you look at his website, www.richard-amsell.com, you are going to find a wealth of the history of film in terms of the many posters he's done. Some of them we might even touch upon in the future because I might own some of these other ones. Some of them I don't own and some of them I'm, I think I'm going to have to start looking for because, my God, this guy, it's amazing the type of work he used to do. And like I said before, this is the type of stuff you used to see more in the past. Now the posters are way too more modern. Not a lot of people are into the, I don't want to call it old-timey, but it's a different type of era of poster making for movies. It's a different type of advertising. Nowadays, it's just different. Let me go into some of the earlier works that he's done. And if you can think of the poster for the movie, you might kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here. Now, granted, a lot of us are probably too young to even remember what the posters look like. And a lot of times, these posters don't necessarily carry on to whether it was VHS or DVD or Blu-ray. By the Many times, by the time it reaches the home video market, they use alternative art or something completely different. But every now and then, they do carry over. But if you were to have gone to the movies at that time, that is the art, that is the poster that some of these artists you know, would have produced. Like I said, this man uh, did uh, stuff from the late 60s all the way to the mid 80s. Let's see, I would say you, you guys probably would recognize Chinatown, the Jack Nicholson film. He did the poster for that. Papillon, the uh, Steve McQueen movie. Murder on the Orient Express. Very timely movie to talk about now since they just remade it. Nashville, Death on the Nile, the Muppet movie, which was unused. That's another thing. Uh, there are many times where these artists are hired, and they, they hire many artists, and then they select which ones they want to pick, but they still own the properties, you know, the studios own it, and they do have, uh, you know, many unused posters by very famous artists that never see the light of day. They probably end up either on a website or on a book, you know, art of so-and-so. Uh, you know, somebody like Drew Struzan, you know, one of these giants of poster making, you know, you will find that. Let's see, we also have Flash Gordon. God, that's one of my favorite fun movies. Guilty pleasure type of movies. He did the art for that poster. As I mentioned earlier, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He did both the original and the secondary one. The Dark Crystal, another wonderful movie that he did the art for. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I mean, you know, these are these are the movies we kind of grew up with. And you kind of get the feel of what we're talking about here in terms of his specific expertise, you know, when it comes to art. Now, the Raiders posters, the particular history of those two Raiders posters are very interesting because obviously when the first poster was put together, you know, they don't want to reveal too much on that poster. They want to kind of keep a little bit of a mystery about it. And the original one is still my favorite one because 
I just love the art that they did for it. It is just fantastic, beautiful looking. It's almost like a photograph, how well he managed to capture Harrison Ford's face. It is just, to me, it's perfect. It is probably the best drawing of Harrison Ford I've ever seen. Like I said, he's there holding the whip over his shoulder. I believe he might have used the, uh, maybe the scene in the beginning of the movie when he's kind of coming out of the shadows into frame in the beginning and you kind of see him, you know, scraggly face, kind of serious looking. That, I believe, is the, the shot he's using for that reference for that particular photo. You do have a very small, in that poster, him climbing down a rope and Marion in the bottom kind of holding off the snakes and you do also see a truck on the other side Possibly a uh, horse. Uh, yes, you do see the horse kind of riding on the side, but not too much more. The only thing you see on that original poster is the Indiana Jones, the new hero from the creators of Jaws and Star Wars. That's all they give you at that time as far as your background. That is, like I said, my favorite one. That is the picture that they use on the soundtrack, which is another way of me having that poster in a very smaller manner. But the one that I purchased is the re-release, 1982. What makes this poster different is that because we already kind of know what this movie is all about, they are able to add a lot more art and specifically characters to it. The poster on the top, the little headline, it says, The Return of the Great Adventure, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now keep in mind, I mentioned this before, for a lot of the current Raiders-related or Indiana Jones-related material, in order to be able to put it into the franchise and to kind of categorize it, just like the future films were Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade, in, you know, they gave them subtitles like that. What they've been doing a lot lately is they've been kind of rebranding Raiders of the Lost Ark to be Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've seen that in novels. I believe they might have been doing it also on some DVD releases too. So it's funny because you don't get to see that kind of stuff anymore. You know, the original uh, title of the film in a way. You kind of have to, they're kind of fudging with it a little bit. But anyway, this poster makes it different because you have now almost a three-quarter shot of Indy and the whip is unfurled over his head. He's in the middle of kind of whipping it. He's kind of smiling straight at you. His likeness is a little different. I would compare it more to a animation or a cartoon or a comic book version of Indiana Jones as opposed to the previous one. The gruff on his face is almost completely gone. He's, he looks very clean shaving a little more. He's definitely more in an action pose. So they kind of cleaned them up a little bit for this particular poster. Now, the thing that makes this poster also very different is that you do have basically all the leading characters in the film surrounding him in a kind of like in a U-shape all along the edges of the poster. You have Belloc, you have Dietrich, you know, the, the German lieutenant, I guess, the Nazi lieutenant. You have Indian Marion, you know, tied to the post, like which we get to see that at the end of the film. And there's like a snake all wrapped around those columns that all these pieces are being placed on. On the other side, you have the, uh, the swordsman, that classic hilarious scene where Indy takes on the swordsman. You also have Belloc once again, but he's wearing now the turban from the end when they open the uh, the arc and his head is like he's like holding his head because he can't believe what he's seeing you have a nice clean shot of Marion on the right holding a torch from the well of the soul scene and you also have on the left I forgot to mention Toth the Nazi henchman holding I think he's holding a gun or a machine gun I'm not entirely sure but this is I believe a shot from the the bar fight in Nepal in the beginning of the movie 
Behind Indy, you have the arc. You have a half shot, basically, behind Indy of the arc. And again, these are things that probably, I imagine, they would want to kind of keep hidden from the original poster because I don't want to call they, they are sort of spoilers, I guess. They're not spoiling the story, but there are elements in the story that it kind of makes more sense to save for later. This is a re-release. They're urging people to return. You know, this is a time where movies would be re-released a year later, two years later, whatever, for limited engagement, you know, type of thing. The home video market was not in full assault as it is now. I don't even remember when it was the first time right now that you got Raiders of the Lost Ark available on video. So this is a different time, a completely different time. It's a great poster. Some people consider it one of Amsel's best posters. To me, again, I'm I'm more uh, of a fan of the original Raiders poster. But what's cool here is that if you go to this website I mentioned earlier, his, his actual website where you can see the history of a lot of his materials, they have a section where you can see the progression of how the posters came together. And this particular one, they go all through the process of him kind of drawing in on pencil, very rough looking with written little notes of, okay, we put this person here, we put that person there, we put this person here. And the progression of these little sketches that he was making before he settled on the last image. And then once he has that last image, you see, again, how the color is added, how he is it kind of experimenting with the color and the placement of things. And then you have the final product there. According to the website here, Total Film in 2011 calls Raiders of the Lost Ark 1982, this particular re-release poster, the greatest hand-drawn movie poster of all time. I mean, like, man, that's some that's some serious praise on this particular poster. Now, with Indiana Jones, there are many, many other posters out there that you might be able to find. A lot of them are only available in the foreign market in terms of they were used to promote the film in other countries. But that art sometimes does get used on other marketing aspects, whether it's toys or records or clothing or whatever it is that you're promoting. There's one additional poster that I've seen before, which is the arc is up front center. And behind the arc, you see Indy and Marion. Marion looks very different because her hair is different and she's wearing different kind of clothing. And the arc is just shining, you know, golden in the middle. And you do have some of the Nazis on the side and Indy on the horse and some other stuff. It's a repositioning of all of it. It looks completely different. It doesn't look so much pencil drawn and colored, but it's more like a, like, a, like an oil painting, let's say, for example. And this particular poster is the one that I remember seeing it and I actually do own it because of the album if you guys remember not the soundtrack the album that kind of narrates the story when they have those the story remember the story of Star Wars what the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark I have that album and that is exactly the art they were using for that that particular poster as I mentioned before is the type of poster that they would have used in a foreign country, probably in Asia or even the Middle East you know sometimes they use that kind of art the only other one I've seen somewhat repetitive here or there is one that is kind of white and it's it's really weird in terms of it's got Indy he's not even wearing the hat he's not even wearing the jacket the picture looks like Indy it looks like Harrison Ford practicing <laughs> with the whip doesn't even look like it's the it's supposed to be the character and I've seen this one again in some of the foreign markets in the re-releases there are some bizarre absolutely bizarre ones that you just cannot make heads or tails of why anybody would use it and why anybody would allow it to be used I will post the link that I've, I did include this uh, particular story in an earlier post in our Facebook page. It, it's just amazing, uh, you know, some of these, 
<laughs> posters. That, yeah, the same thing happened with Star Wars. I remember we would talk about Star Wars and how they would just, you would just be completely baffled by what some of these foreign markets find acceptable <laughs> as a means of advertising a movie. So, yeah, I would say those are it uh, as far as the the main ones. Now, when Raiders was re-released, I believe they did a, an IMAX presentation a couple years ago. It was a, like an anniversary type of thing. I believe the film might have been remastered and such. And this was, I believe, to coincide with the Blu-ray release. They did a combination of uh, theatrical IMAX and, you know, around the time the Blu-ray came out. Again, with the IMAX release, they designed a completely new poster, you know, different artist, obviously. But if you are hunting for those original ones, I would say the first one and the second one are probably the most popular ones of all. Are you a genre TV, film, sci-fi, horror, fantasy, toy, and convention nerd? Nerds! Do you enjoy listening to podcasts? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Do you ever wish you could co-host a podcast? Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. This just might be your chance. Somebody help me! Help me! Help me! Help me! Shut up! Geekfest Rants is looking for new co-hosts. If you're interested, go to our homepage at geekfestrants.com and click on the hosting icon for more information. For our second collectible segment today, we are going to return to an old topic that we had started covering many, many months ago, and that is the Kenner Star Wars action figure line, the original Kenner Star Wars action figure line. And how it has progressed into all the different waves and all the different cardbacks from Star Wars to Empire. And now, finally, we are going to start with Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi was the final film of the original trilogy that inspired the beginning of some of the best action figures that Kenner put together. As we mentioned before, as the line grew older and older, the better the figures got. And as you get to the tail end, the very, very tail end, which we will be discussing at a later episode of Return of the Jedi, the quality was amazing for that date's standards. We're talking about, you know, the early to mid 80s here. With Return of the Jedi, you have the beginning of that wave starting as early as 1982. And not only did it start early, but it started with a mail-away figure. What we're dealing with here is what we like to call the 65 card backs. By the time Return of the Jedi rolls around, we got quite a number of figures under our belt. And when you flip over your card of a carded action figure, you're going to be counting quite a number of figures. As this is happening, just like they did with The Empire Strikes Back, you're going to see some figures that will be recarded with the current movie's logo on it. So, for example, uh, even during Empire, you were starting to see some older Star Wars figures recarded under the Empire logo. Same thing with Return of the Jedi. And that is obviously done because when people jump into a line for the first time, you know, midstream, if you will, you know, maybe they jump in at the Empire Strikes Back or maybe they jump in at Return of the Jedi, all the signs like, well, wait a minute, how do we get a Darth Vader? Well, Darth Vader was not part of the wave, you know, of brand new figures having to do with Empire or Jedi. So they end up recarding them under the Jedi logo or an Empire logo. 
And sometimes they might even use a different picture. Not always, but sometimes. And then, you know, bam, there you go. You have yourself your Darth Vader figure, for example. Well, with the 65 card backs, the Return of the Jedi line, your price now changes from the 249 to the 299, the most expensive that you have seen them at that time. You got to remember they started off at $1.99 and to have to jump to 299, you know, you're talking about over the span of these two films rolling into the third film, you know, your figures are costing about 33% more than they used to. But if you were the type of kid that saved your card backs and cut out the proofs of purchase, your first chance to get your hands on a Return of the Jedi action figure came in the form of a proof of purchase mail-away. Here you have a six proof of purchase mail-away for Admiral Akbar. Now, the six proofs of purchase is something new because up to this point, they were only doing five proofs of purchase for previous figures. So all of a sudden, now they wanted you to buy a couple more. <laughs> but we all did. I believe that's how I got mine. And this is 1982 we're talking about. This is before the movie even comes out. You know, you're starting to get the slow trickle of figures coming your way. The movie's coming out in May 25th, I believe, of 1983. So as early as 1982, probably the end of 82, you're starting to get something. So if you did your mail away, what you got is your Admiral Akbar, which comes with, now remember, again, this is Kenner we're talking about, a single accessory for the figure, and that is a baton, a black baton with these black rings around it. Uh, kind of hard to say exactly where he uses it, if he does at all. I believe he uses some kind of pointing device, possibly when they're talking about the Death Star plans. Not sure how screen accurate this particular prop is, but it is an original prop. In other words, we have never seen it before, and that is one of the wonderful things about the Return of the Jedi line is that new movie, new props, new accessories. And you do get quite a number of them. There are not too many variations when it comes to Admiral Akbar. You might get a slight tinge of different colors for the uniform. Or maybe the paint application where the skin meets the sleeve might be a little overlapping or underlapping. Nothing major as far as variant collectors go. You know, with that said, like I mentioned about a million times, you will find variants. And people are variant focused collectors who will look for every conceivable variant to the figure and this is applicable to just about every single figure but but somebody like myself you know my own sets of standards are variants you know where do i cross the line into variant world for me it's really not worth it with admiral akbar admiral akbar later gets carded and as i mentioned earlier he becomes basically the first 65 card back figure beautiful card Beautiful picture from Return of the Jedi. You know, they we, we're sticking with the standard card formation, just a different, you know, different colors and this and that and different pictures. So, you know, pretty cool looking figure to start our line. With this mail-away figure, what you normally would get, and in most of these, this is what you end up getting, is a little white box with a bagged figure inside, inside a baggie. And a catalog, a current catalog of whatever happens to be available at the time. And with this one, you also get this little note of who Admiral Akbar is. Now, because this came out in 82, you know, they were not heavily, heavily promoting Return of the Jedi yet. And keep in mind, this was called Revenge of the Jedi. And that's the other thing that's very interesting about this figure is that when it was advertised on Empire Strikes Back cards, 
with a little sticker that said, you know, mail away for this first figure from Revenge of the Jedi. <laughs> that is something that's cool if you happen to have some of those card backs that actually have the word revenge on it. It is something that is sought after in, in a collectible. Admiral Akbar, I remember, also was one of those kind of sneak peek pictures, as I always preface most of these conversations. This is pre-internet. So I remember that in the, I forget which version of 1982, Bantha Tracks, one of the first, first pictures of Revenge of the Jedi was a tiny little square monochrome photo of Admiral Akbar sitting in his chair and, you know, in his cruiser. And that was like, wow, we actually get to see an actual picture of Revenge of the Jedi. So, you know, it was a big deal. The other thing to keep in mind is that the catalog that was included in the in the mail away was a Empire Strikes Back catalog because at that point they didn't want to re release too much information about what was coming. You know, they wanted to keep you in the dark because it was still 1982 and this was your sneak preview kind of figure. You know, they weren't calling it a sneak preview, I think, but it is it amounts to that basically. It's the it's the look what's coming kind of figure. Now, your second 1982 figure was Lando in his skiff guard disguise. Now, he came with an accessory that was called the Skiff Guard Vibro Axe. This is an unusual weapon. Again, manufactured for Return of the Jedi. We see it in the movie. We never really see what makes it special or what makes it a Vibro Axe. It's supposed to be some kind of blade weapon. However, because it's kind of futuristic technologically, you know, we, you know, you can't just have a knife because that's kind of simple. To make it futuristic, they call it a vibro axe. So I guess it's supposed to have a blade that I guess vibrates as it's cutting into someone, you know? Obviously in the movie, we never really see that technology. They're all carrying their weapons. Even the Gamorrean guard has this huge, big fat axe and it's supposed to be a vibro axe. So it's like, okay, I guess there's some kind of technology going on here that I don't understand. And, you know, it, instead of him just carrying a big stick or a big spear, he gets to carry this thing, which is cool, and a number of them carry it. Now, what's also really cool about this figure is that it has a removable helmet. Removable helmets are something new to the Return of the Jedi line. We didn't have any before. So what you have here is a slightly smaller sculpted Lando head so that you can then fit his special, you know, Jabba Palace helmet on him, and you can kind of still see his eyes just like you did in the movie. The helmet does not have the mouthpiece that kind of raises and lowers. It's just one big piece with, you know, the hole in the middle and, the, you know, for the eyes. But it is cool that, oh, you know, they're putting the time and they're putting the effort into making these a little more modern, a little more sophisticated in their design. The variations, again, slight color variations on the costume, on the flesh tone, you know, that sort of thing. No major differences this time around with the Lando figure with his teeth. Remember in Empire Strikes Back, there was a major variant where with teeth, without teeth. Big old grin or no grin <laughs> kind of look. Here they just went with no teeth. You don't see teeth. He's serious, you know, looking, that sort of thing. Very cool looking figure. Now, as 1983 rolls in, we get another mail-away figure. This time it's Nia Num. For this figure, which is a completely new alien, just like Akbar, it's like, oh my God, what is he all about? You did have, a, once again, the option of mailing away for him. You could have gotten him through the mail. Similar scenario to Admiral Akbar. You get your figure in a little baggie, in a little white box. You get an introductory little letter, and you get a catalog. However, 
This time around, it's a Return of the Jedi catalog. Now you're getting a peek at what's coming, you know, down the line, just like you do with the card back for Lando. This is still part of the 65 backs. Difference is that for the uh, proof of purchases here, they kind of went back to the five proofs of purchase, so they weren't asking for as many as six this time. So I don't know if that was just a cash grab that they were trying to get you to buy one more figure with Agbar, but with Neil Numb, they kind of backed off a little bit, and that's kind of good. <laughs> Great looking figure. His face sculpt is really cool because he's got those flaps in his mouth. His flight suit, pretty accurate to what we are, you know, what we're used to, and he comes with a pilot blaster that is basically the same one as that we had seen before the TIE fighter pilot in the Empire line. And like I said, just before, just like with Akbar, this was also eventually a carded figure. Up next, we have Bib Fortuna, Jabba's manservant, <laughs> if you will. Here's an elaborate looking figure. Not only do you get the creepy face with the tentacle tendrils and you know the back of the head that wrap around his body the figure comes in a cloak a soft good cloak and by soft goods i'm talking about not like in star wars where if somebody had a robe or a cloak or something it was made out of plastic like the jawa plastic robe or the obi-wan plastic robe or the leia plastic robes that they put on her here now they're going into soft good territory which you know, to be fair, they did dabble a little bit in Empire Strikes Back with Zuckus and in Star Wars, if you will, with the soft good Jawa, the soft good cape Jawa, you know, made out of cloth as opposed to the vinyl one, the rare one. However, for those two lines, they've only really had, like I said, maybe two figures. I guess you can also count the Ognat from Empire. He had a little, like a vest like a tunic, a cloth tunic, and Yoda, of course, yeah, let's not forget Yoda. Yoda did have a soft, good coat. But what I'm saying here is that with Return of the Jedi, it looks like they're trying to experiment with different material. For Empire, for example, the Zuckus that I was talking about, he has kind of like a, like a leathery feel kind of coat. Here for Bib Fortuna, he has a kind of like a suede coat, which is very unusual. I mean, I don't remember exactly if in the movie, you know, his, his coat is made out of suede or something like that, but that's what they decided to use for here. Obviously, his figure has many robes. It's a multi-layer robe that the character wears. The inside is all plastic, but the outer coat is the, the suede one I'm talking about. He also seems to have this very elaborate belt chest plate type of thing that attaches. It's made out of plastic, so it's like an accessory, if you will. And he carries a staff, which I'm pretty sure he carried something at some point during the movie. Just like anything else, you might have some variations in the painting and the paint application. The other thing I noticed is that, and, and again, <laughs> it depends on how crazy of a variant collector you are. If you collect the Lily Letty figures, the Mexican ones, there is apparently a major cloak color variation where the cloak is more reddish than this one, which is kind of greenish like a dark greenish. So there is that kind of variation, but I've never really seen one in person. All right, then we have the Biker Scout, also known as the Scout Trooper. This is a beautiful figure. I absolutely love it. I remember seeing it on display at the store and how, especially with Return of the Jedi, I mean, this happened to me also with, with The Empire Strikes Back, but Return of the Jedi is a little more current, only by a few years, where I do remember looking at these cards 
and it's like wow in your mind you're making you're trying to decipher the stories based on one single picture one frame next to the action figure and this one i remember it was the it's the biker scout kind of hunched over the bike almost in a ready to go position the figure is it's just gorgeous it's a beautiful gorgeous figure it's a amazing likeness of the armor that the biker scout wears his accessory is that small pistol Again, it's a completely original pistol. It's a blaster pistol that I remember he carries in his leg, on the bottom part of his leg, as he's uh, chasing Luke and Leia around. The figure comes in a certain way, and this is something you really can't get too crazy on because he has to have dual purpose. He comes in a certain way where his legs are pretty straight and his arms are kind of pretty straight, very slight, if almost non-existent, bend on the elbows. And that is purposely done because he is supposed to be able to fit into the accessory that is the bike, the actual bike for the biker scout. I remember, I have it. So you were you would you could sit him on the bike with his arms stretched out holding the handles, more or less. And he should be able to do that. The only variation I'm aware of, because this is a black and white figure, there's not a lot of combinations that you can mess around with, and that is the visor, the actual eye goggles. Some of them are thicker, more black, and some of them are thinner, a little less black in there. That is, seems to be like one of the most common variations that you know you might be able to find. Okay, then we have Chief Chirpa, our first Ewok. Now, with the Ewoks... They all come with different accessories, which is cool. And again, just like the Biker Scout, these are original accessories we've never seen before. They're not recycling from something else. Chief Chirpa comes with a hood that he can place over his head. It's uh, made out of rubber. And a staff that he can hold. He's painted, you know, pretty good for, for what it is. He's got a, a sort of like a painted on belt and a, a hanging necklace. And, you know, the eyes and the teeth are painted. So this is something that we're going to see in different shapes or forms with all the different Ewoks that they put out there. They choose to paint certain things and not others. This one, you do get to see very prominent those teeth sticking out. Now, what is very interesting about this particular Ewok is that if you were to look at the back, you know, the card back of other figures you would not be able to see him because they purposely airbrushed out his picture and another Ewok during that first wave. And that is because they didn't want you to see the Ewoks because those were supposed to be a surprise for, I guess, the viewers, especially the children. So I do remember the first wave of cardbacks, you would flip them over and you see these big black blotches. And it's funny because I do remember if you hold them to the light in a certain way, even though it's still a big black blotch, you could see, still see the outline of something else underneath that big black blotch. <laughs> and, and it was the silhouette of an Ewok. So you can kind of tell what the creature they're hiding kind of looks like, but not entirely. But I do remember seeing those. And I kept. I remember at the time, I wasn't sure, why are they doing that? Why, why are they? Does that mean this figure is not for sale? Or what, what was the deal? But yeah, I remember that was something they were doing at first. Next, the Emperor's Royal Guard. Once again, another amazing looking figure. You have soft goods for the cloak. You have this beautiful red helmet and underneath an even darker red crimsony kind of tunic that the guy is wearing. And he's holding a force pike, which is this long spear-like device that it's kind of very hard to find on the second market. And it took me so many years to find the replacement one. This is another great figure. Like I said, totally original 
the use of the soft goods that are non-removable. I mean, you could forcefully remove them, but they're really not meant to be removed from the figure. And it's two sets, two layers of cloaks and the force pike, which makes him look really, really screen accurate. Definitely one of the best ones. And like I said earlier, you know, these things kept getting better and better as they went along. The Royal Guard is also one of these characters that in the movie you're like, you know, you, watch, you look at these pictures and you actually see them in the trailer a little tiny bit. And it's one of these underused characters that you hoped that they would have done so much more with, but they never did. Okay, Gamorrean Guard. Here we go. Here's another great creature that they put together. A completely, completely new mold. It's a much bigger mold than you've ever seen before. The pig-like snout and the teeth and the horns. And his accessory is the Vibro Axe, like I mentioned earlier. It looks just like an axe. You've seen it in the movie. Again, I don't remember seeing anything special about it. Anything technological about it. Who the heck knows? Who cares? Great figure. The sculpt is great. You can see his toes. You can see his muscles. This is really, really cool-looking uh, interpretation of the original character. One little tidbit about this character is that when the Star Wars line was starting to die off and other lines came about, Kenner repurposed parts of some of these Star Wars figures. And this one in particular, the Gamorrean Guard became, parts of him became, Friar Tuck in the Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves line of toys. They basically took his... Legs, I believe, and part of his chest and a little bit of his arms. Obviously, they changed the head. But when you take a close look at some of these body parts, like I said, the legs and the chest and the and the belly area, they just did not change almost anything. They used it almost completely. They just recolored it. So it's an interesting little tidbit when it comes to uh, how some other uh, licensees ended up uh, repurposing Star Wars. General Maydeen. General Maydeen is a pretty... Pretty basic looking character as far as action figures go. Nothing too exciting about him. He's a rebel general. So it's nice to kind of, I don't want to say army build because he is a specific character. He's not a soldier, so you really can't. But I know, you know, people have used a lot of loose Maydeans to uh, customize other figures and that sort of thing. He comes with a, what's described as a battle staff, which is really, again, another pointing device, I think, similar to what uh, uh, Akbar had. This one, it is completely original. It's a white, kind of a stick with a head on it. Really cool colors for it being such a simple, you know, uniform, but I like the combination of the blues and the grays. Very uh, navy-ish looking rebel outfit. You know, very minor paint variations, just like with everything else. Nothing too excited about Maydeen. Somewhat of an underused character, but hey, he got some airtime and some, you know, he got some lines, so that's cool. Okay, now we have Klaatu, better known as Wolf. Now, what is the deal with Klaatu? There seems to be some inconsistencies with naming here. Not as crazy, maybe, <laughs> as what happened with Empire Strikes Back and Zuckus and Forlom, but something to that extent where this guy's name is Klaatu, however... When all the reference material was put out, his actual name should have been Wolf. W-O-O-O-F. He comes with the same Bivro axe that Lando comes with. He is obviously a plastic figure, but he does have a soft good attachment. It's kind of like a half skirt, almost like a lion cloth, if you will. It covers the front and part of the back. Part of it is leather. The other one is like fur, 
like sheepskin maybe or something like that. Again, he's one of Jabba's thugs, you know, during the uh, Pit of Carcoon, I believe, and some of the interior stuff too. Then we have Logre, another Ewok. This is the uh, Medicine Man Ewok. Different color than our previous one. He's a much lighter color. His accessories are, he has a hood. He has a helmet type of thing that he wears, like a skull with leather on it. He has a little pouch bag that he kind of can loop over his shoulder with a strap. And he has a staff with bird feathers and all kinds of little intricate little knickknacks. Again, this was another one of these first wave figures that were airbrushed so you couldn't see what they look like. Good addition to the uh, to the Ewok uh, <laughs> troop builders, I guess. Next up, you have Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight outfit. Very nice sculpt, very nice proportions. The head might be a little too big, just slightly too big, but you get a great soft good cloak with a hood that he can wear. You get one of the Jabba's Palace blasters, which is a completely new sculpt of weapon for the Return of the Jedi line. And he gets a green separate lightsaber. Remember, by this time, they finished off doing the you know lightsabers in the arms. By Empire, they had switched over to the handheld separate lightsaber. Fortunately, they hadn't gotten the colors right. Well, finally, we get one that actually comes with the right color. This is a nice green lightsaber that you could use for the Luke figure. There are apparently a few people that were able to get a alternate color lightsabers. They apparently some came with a blue color lightsaber, which is, again, inappropriate because he never has blue in Return of the Jedi. Blue was from Empire. Ironically, blue is also the color that they didn't get right <laughs> with Empire because they gave Luke a yellow removable lightsaber in Empire, which, you know, it's I guess it's, uh, it's about baby steps. You make the corrections a little bit at a time, but at least this time he gets the right one. But yes, there are some blue ones floating around too for some bizarre reason then you have princess leia as boosh the bounty hunter boosh again completely new sculpt very screen accurate depiction of her comes with a removable helmet her head is pretty small to begin with so it does help in being able to put the helmet over her head uh, works really well and she also carries what you could see it as a gun, it's a very long, long staff-looking device, which he is carrying, you know, in the movie. And, and he kind of holds it like a staff. But here, it looks like it's got a handle. So it looks like to be a very long, super long rifle, or a staff with a very unusual handle <laughs> off to the side. You have to figure out which way to carry it. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm sure in the EU, or even maybe in the props, you can be able to find exactly how it is supposed to be used or handled. Uh, but in the movie, she's only carrying it as a staff. And here, you know, it comes with it. Again, completely original. Never done before. And yet, another helmeted action figure that we've uh, introduced into the line. Up next, we have the Rebel Commando. Speaking of army building, here's your chance to collect a couple of Rebel Commando figures. He's not anyone specific. This way you could, I guess, army build. All green from Endor. Comes with the Endor type of helmet. Non-removable. This is a non-removable helmet. And a completely, completely original rifle with a strap. Blaster rifle that we've never seen before. You know, it's just incredible how good these things were getting, as I mentioned before. And... How they kind of go out of their way to give you newer accessories. Not only great sculpts and coloring, but newer accessories, which is great. 
Then you have Reese, the three-eye, uh, I don't know if you want to call it piggish-looking creature. Again, from Jabba's Palace. He's got a couple of shots here or there. Very original. <laughs> Very original-looking. Great sculpt. The three-eye look uh, works really well. <laughs> the coloring of the costume is really cool. Bizarre, bizarre-looking weapon with this one. Again, completely original. Gold color. I doubt we've seen it in the movie. But yeah, they went completely original. It's amazing because, again, you have such a unimportant character that never even seems to be holding a weapon as far as I can remember and them being nice enough to give you something completely new. Now, speaking of creatures, up next we have Squidhead. <laughs> Squidhead. Well, Squidhead, again, similar to like Reyes, he has a very small part and he's one of these background creatures. He does have a accessory uh, blaster, which is a repurposed, I believe, Bespin blaster. If you remember the Empire Bespin blasters, well, this is, he's, that's what he's holding, except this one is colored gray. The Bespin ones were usually like a dark blue, but here they went with a gray color. So finally, at this point, they're repurposing older blasters. He has a lot of interesting clothing accessories, soft good cape, soft good kind of like a skirt, and a belt, a very thick belt also, very thick plastic belt. Uh, great looking figure. The sculpt is gorgeous. The, the head, you know, it's all in the head. Uh, how good they did it to resemble the, the on-air, uh, you know, a creature. And finally, we have Weakway. This is another one of Jabba's uh, henchmen. Uh, this one comes with a Bivro axe, again, similar to Lando. This particular guy, what makes him a little different than most of the other ones is that he has his arms and hands molded in a certain way where he can hold the Bibro blade with both hands into a carrying motion. And if you guys remember, this is the guy that pokes Luke in the back as he's walking the plank. And then Luke does the flip and kind of goes after him and that sort of thing. Well, that's what you could, that's one of the things you can do with this figure is you can actually pose him in that fashion to be able to hold, you know, his weapon forward, which is something they don't do a lot. They don't do a lot of posing, you know, because they want you to have all the possible combinations and to have one hand down and one hand up, you know, that could limit, you know, your playability, I guess. But in this particular case, they chose to, you know, Take it a step further and give you that little extra bonus feature, if you will. So that's going to wrap things up for our first wave, or at least the beginning of our first wave of Return of the Jedi. Next time we cover this subject, we're going to explore it a little deeper because we have a little more of what you could still consider first waves. And then we have second waves and we have third waves and we have Power of the Force. And eventually we're going to go with the odds and bits. We're going to end up doing a little piece on the odds and bits. All these weird little other figures that are not exactly figures, but creatures and that sort of thing. But anyway, I hope you enjoy this. And we will see you next time with more of our Kenner Star Wars original action figures. All right, I'd like to thank you guys for listening. I hope you've enjoyed all of our movie reviews today with Spider-Man Homecoming and our new feature having to do with movie posters. As I mentioned earlier, I hope to be able to put one up every month and talk about them for you guys to maybe even get into collecting old posters. And I also hope you enjoyed our uh, Return of the Jedi Kenner action figure look back from our childhood toys, which don't seem to be leaving me. They seem to be continuing uh, the longer we progress here. As usual, I'd like to thank you guys. I'd like to thank Kyle for helping me put together the spider-man review and until next time we will see you here 
at Geekfest Friends. Goodbye, everybody. is back. The Rebels won't tire till they see the last of the Empire. And Kenner's there with Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. I'm gonna feed you to Starlock Pit, Skywalker. Glad to. Weequay, Luke Skywalker, and Lando Calrissian, each sold separately. Prepare the plank, Weequay. Surprise, surprise, I'm Lando in disguise. Let's get out of here, Luke. Whoa, the plank is falling. Help! Glad to. Weequay, Luke Skywalker, and Lando Calrissian action figures, each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2017. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.